Good evening, wrestling fans. This is another alternative commentary. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And tonight, we are watching the 1992 Royal Rumble match. Yes, and I am joined by Ric Flair's superfan, Gavin Napier. How do you do, sir? I'm doing well. Much better now that our audio issues have been sorted, and I can actually hear what you are saying. It does help when when, when we can hear each other. Makes yes. for a better conversation. Much. <laughs> so tomorrow is, as we're recording this, tomorrow is the uh, Royal Rumble in mm -hmm. St. Louis, as I believe. And so uh, a while back, I had asked you, hey, you know, if there's ever any kind of podcast you want to do, any topic, shoot me a list and we'll talk about them. And you had said, hey, I would love to do like a watch along for the Royal Rumble 1992. So just, you know, 50 words or less, Gavin, why are we spending other than the obvious? Why did you want to talk about this? What's so special about this event for you? The obvious is the Ric Flair win at the end of this spoilers is it's a 30 year old event if you weren't there, <laughs> sorry um so this really was like the peak of my rick flair fandom and that's kind of weird because he was always an nwa guy i grew up on nwa and wcw but to me this is the greatest moment of his career um i also feel like this is the greatest royal rumble of all time not just because of rick flair but we'll touch on it as we watch along with it there, the way that this match is put together should be the standard for all Royal Rumbles um, because there's no dead moments. Um, there's no points where it feels like there's just filler in the ring. There are so many storylines that are woven together throughout this, and that's what makes a good Royal Rumble. It's not just the Final Four. It's not just the surprises. It, it's being able to tell multiple stories over the course of the hour while still building to that one ultimate story of who's going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with that. Yep. Uh, our friend here on Twitch says, this is the second greatest performances uh, in Royal Rumble history, not just from Flair, but also from Heenan. And that's a big part of it, is the commentary from this might be the greatest commentary for any match ever um, between Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. I think this is the just like this is the match you point to for Ric Flair's greatness, this is the match that you point to for the greatest commentary team of all time. Indeed. All right, Gavin. Well, I don't want to waste any time here. And as you said, we can talk as the match is going on. So if you are playing the home game and want to watch along with us, we currently have this set at 122.15. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then I'm going to press the button. That button is play. So ready? One, two, three. There we go. And there is, if you're playing at home, there is Sid <laughs> telling you to come hither <laughs> and look into his crazy eyes. And I was excited about Sid in this match as well. I mean, mm -hmm. Even with Flair and me just hoping and praying that Flair would win, um, the idea of Sid being the, the WWF champion would have thrilled me as well. I would have been disappointed over Flair not winning, but to me, Sid has the greatest look of anyone that's ever been in the sport. Now, obviously what goes on in the ring may leave a little to be desired, but on pure look and presence, to me, Sid is as good as it gets. Yeah, he definitely... I don't think I was ever a huge fan of the of the tight, curly, blonde hair, but, um, you know, that that aside... 
I would agree with you. Sid always had great intensity. Sid had a great look. Uh, he had the height. He had the build. He had the charisma. Um, I, I think maybe he had some better, uh, some help with his promos at times. And maybe we do something with that hair. Uh, I think he'd have been like the, the total package. But, you know, it's so funny. We have so many guys in the history of professional wrestling who just have everything. You know, they are the perfect total package. But there's always something about them that just just scurries the whole thing you know uh, you know me i uh as you love rick flair and as you just talked about sid you know one of my favorites is the ultimate warrior and like he had the look he had everything again you know in-ring talent he definitely needed to be carried but he was a guy you could hang your entire company on and he just couldn't keep his crap together you know um and i look i've spent hours on this network past, present, and future defending the man. So I won't go into it any further than that. But um, a lot of guys in this era, and this it's, it's such a rich era of professional wrestling in terms of, like, guys that had the right look, the presence, the talent. I mean, it'll be years later, you know, maybe during the Attitude Era, uh, before you'll have another roster as deep as this one filled with anyone, almost anyone who could have been in the main event at any given time. And I think that's another thing that makes this Royal Rumble so special is, you know, I don't keep up with WWE anymore, so I don't mm-hmm. know who's in the Royal mm-hmm. Rumble this year. Right. But I would imagine that if you are keeping up with the product, there's probably one or two people that you could realistically expect to win. Maybe it's because I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. But to me, going into this 1992 Royal Rumble, realistic possibilities to win this and win the WWF championship were Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Sid, um, Undertaker, Macho Man Randy Savage. They could have done something crazy and put the title on Roddy Piper. Um, This was the only televised shot at the WWF World Heavyweight Championship that Jake the Snake Roberts ever got. Um, Mm -hmm. So there were were a a realistic six or seven people that could have won this match. Right. And And it's... Go ahead. <clears throat> I, I said that just that added layers and elements to the match that you don't get in the modern rumbles. So there was a Royal Rumble from a little over 10 years ago. Um, I'm going to take a wild guess, depending on where I was in my life. It was probably 2008. And I remember going to a sports bar to watch the Rumble because, you know, back in back in the day before, when we used to leave our houses and be social, um, we right. would go to, you know, you would go to your sports bar and grill and you would they would have the pay-per-view and you could be amongst the other wrestling fans and have fun i don't know about your sports bar but there was always at least a handful of guys with their hands taped up and a a belt over their shoulder which is which is great fun um so i went there one year for the royal rumble and they were like we're taking bets on who's going to win and i and i can't remember what what all was going on that particular year but i do remember it was really obvious who was going to win the royal rumble that year it was like like one or two people and that was about it but they were like, well, we're taking bets on this. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, like I was encouraged to participate because that was what everyone was doing. But yeah, we all knew who was winning that year. Uh, but you're right. This one was wide open. And what a treat to have put, you know, as we're going to see at the end, to put it on Ric Flair. And, uh, I, you know, when I made the graphic for tonight's show, I didn't want to just put up the, I didn't want to just put up the poster because Ric Flair's post-promo win, post, uh, win is iconic. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not the world's biggest Ric Flair fan. That, that's why you're here. But <laughs> but I, I I will, you know, give the devil his due. 
his, his and we'll watch it soon enough when he has that title and he's there with perfect and Heenan and there's champagne everywhere and he's like with a tear in my eye yada 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 like there i said this last night there are uh there are moments in wrestling that make you forget that it's phony baloney yeah. You know, you really do believe what you're watching is real. You have bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And that was one of those moments. That's what's why it's iconic. It's why it's the one everyone references. Uh, it's why we love it. And I think the reason that this one seemed more real and not just a scripted promo is because it was more real. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Ric Flair after leaving WCW, after leaving the place that he had made himself famous and, and a main event star and a legend in the sport because of disagreement with management and because management no longer believed in Ric Flair right. and nobody wanted to pony up for the deposit on the belt that Ric Flair carried. So he showed up carrying the big gold um, that led to some lawsuits and, and so on and so forth. But for Ric Flair to be the champion of the chief rival of the NWA slash WCW and be able to hold up their world title, it was very much akin to Roger Clemens going to the Toronto Blue Jays after the the general manager of the Boston Red Sox said that he was washed up and didn't have anything left. You know, Roger Clemens would go on to pitch for another 15 years after that. And <laughs> we know Ric Flair, if you, if you offered him the right paycheck to cover some of his alimony and child support, <laughs> he would probably get in the ring tomorrow. Um, sure. But for him, this was his opportunity to to extend the middle finger to the company that didn't believe in him anymore. And so there was a lot of real emotion in that promo, even though it's a scripted win. And we all know that you know, this sure. is playing scripted, laid out, whatever. He seemed he seemed genuinely happy to have one have that win. Sure. Absolutely. You know, he, he clearly wasn't surprised by it, but that's what makes it even more of a, of a great experience with watching it and watching him because like you, you really do feel through the TV set. He is conveying how grateful he is to have had this opportunity. And it's like, dude, you toured the world as the NWA world champion against like Dusty Rhodes and the road warriors. And um, I can't remember if this is before or after Ricky steamboat, but my God, like you, you've had, if he had retired in 1992, he'd, he'd had, you know, a Hall of Fame career anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And he's still like, oh, my God, like, you believe in me. You love me. You know, he had that, like, what was it, Audrey Hepburn, I think, moment. It's like, you like me. You really like me. And it's great. So as we begin the Royal Rumble here, our first entrant is the British Bulldog. And I'm going uh, to have to play catch up because Chrome just crashed on me. So, okay. But I remember this well enough. Don't hit pause. We'll proceed. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got the Bulldog coming out in full regalia. It was my favorite look for the Bulldog, as stupid as the braids and the beads were. Mm-hmm. Absolutely my favorite look for the Bulldog, especially with the big cape that came along yes. with it. Um, and I remember watching this with friends who were huge Hulkamaniacs. Mm-hmm. And they were all telling me, Flair's coming out number two. He's going to have to go the whole way. Flair's coming out number two. And I was like, if he does, that's fine. But Flair does not come out number two. No. Out coming out right now with the sensational Sherry is the million dollar man. (laughs) Everyone's got a price for the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And again, here's another guy, even though he's coming out at number two, one of the first two in the ring. While this is 
past his true main event run in the late 80s, and, and he's certainly on, on the downhill for his WWF career, you could have put the belt on Ted DiBiase and it would have been credible. Yeah. that You know, it was one of the things that Pat and I have been chronicling as we go through the Mania of WrestleMania series is for a long stretch there, you had the all-star team of worldwide professional wrestling outside of maybe one or two guys. Yeah. You know, you had almost every single main event talent from all the territories at, around the continental United States. It, it's a it's a crazy roster from like yeah. 85 to 89. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why another reason for this to be so high on my list, I truly believe that in one match at any given time, this is the greatest collection of talent in wrestling history. For sure. Um, just, just to let you know, and now I like this one. I, I, I was not unhappy when you were like 92 Royal Rumble. I'm like, Oh, that's a classic. I also like the 98 Rumble. Uh, yes. Stuart and I talked about that one on uh, Wednesday's or Thursday's episode of, um, the mania of WrestleMania. And, you know, look, Mick Foley coming in three times as three different characters, you know, Austin's, you know, historic win to go, go into WrestleMania 14. There's a lot happening on that show. It's a fun one. Uh, the Royal Rumble is the one thing that I always make it a point to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, I may not watch it live tomorrow, but at some point in the very near future, I will be caught up and I'll watch the Royal Rumble um, because it's fun no matter where you're at in your fandom. Yeah. The nature of the event and knowing that there's going to be uh, some surprises. There's going to be some people that you haven't seen for a while. Yep. And it really is an opportunity for them to elevate and build a new star out of nowhere, even if they don't win the match, getting the diesel push. Right. Uh, in this match, The Undertaker, I felt like, gets elevated even mm -hmm. though he doesn't win. We are at number three here in the Royal Rumble, and the man, woo, Ric Flair has entered the ring as and Ted DiBiase was unceremoniously dumped out. Bobby Heenan is losing his mind. <laughs> uh, Gorilla Monsoon is telling him it's all over for you, pal. And so begins the greatest 60 minutes of commentary in professional wrestling history. You know, uh, I got to give it to you, Gavin. I'm watching Ric Flair, and look, he's not my favorite wrestler by a long shot, but... I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there are not some phenomenal things he does in that ring. And I don't mean like phenomenal Daniel Bryan, like, oh, he's this like, you know, stellar worker. The selling that Ric Flair does, the, you know, the, the little nuances in his character work, you know, like he starts to square up with British, British Bulldog. And the first thing he does is straighten his hair. It's hilarious. Little things like that is what make him so great. And as we go through we're going to see a lot of those little things, the facial expressions. We're going to see uh, the little things that Rick does to to add depth and character to even a match like this. Um, give me a, a, a time cue to sync up with here, Mark. Sure. Uh, we are currently at uh, 134.27. Okay, great. Uh, as we see the number four contestant here in the Royal Rumble, and it's one of the nasty boys, the not blonde one. Uh, yeah, this would be Jerry Sags. This would be the better of the two is from an in-ring perspective. And you're right, this isn't fair to Flair. Um, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. 
Um, the Nasty Boys might be my all-time least favorite big-time tag team. Absolutely hated them. Never liked them. You know, growing up as a kid watching this, um, I'm born 76, so I was like right, I was at the right age for the 80s boom. And I think you're we're around the same age. Um, and I do and I remember like that I remember the that color scheme, you know, like the the uh the thrown paint look and the neon and everything. And then I remember, you know, that was a big part of like the 80s aesthetic. And then and then the nasty boys come out wearing it, and I just remember thinking to myself as a kid, like, ugh, I hate this. What? Even in the AWA, mm-hmm. I, I had no tolerance for them. Uh, and at that mm-hmm. point, I'm like seven or eight years old, and I just thought these guys are just fat slobs. This isn't yeah. believable at all. And, and that's and the it, thing. Like we we had, if you're like me, you like other than Dusty Rhodes, like you grow up with all these like giant muscular he-man gods. Right. And how come these two fat toothless meth look, you know, using? <laughs> slobs like you said and you're like well how did these guys become professional wrestlers and, and i think that's what frustrated me because dusty had that undeniable presence he had sure. that undeniable charisma the nasty boys did not have that no the, the nasty boys did not have what dusty Rhodes had i feel like the nasty boys were a collection of like the worst wrestling stereotypes but they were yeah. well connected um, yeah. and who you know is sometimes more important than what you know most of the time it's more <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, most of the time, um, if not a, a universal thing. Um, but I'm just thinking, if you're Pat Patterson and you're talking to Ric Flair, you know, like, okay, you're going to come out as number three. All right, what am I doing for the first couple of minutes? Um, the Bulldog's going to kick the crap out of you. Yep, there's going to be some <laughs> press slams. You're going to take some big bumps right off the top. And then Jerry Sags is going to come out. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> The best thing about the Nasty Boys, our friends on on Twitch here uh, chiming in as we go along, which is great. We encourage that. If you're listening on uh, social media, if you're following us on Twitter and you want to jump in, find us on Twitch or YouTube and jump in the comment section. I'll put them up here. We'll have fun. Um, Our friend here on Twitch says, the best thing about the Nasty Boys were Jimmy Hart's jackets and Missy Hyatt. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say anytime Missy Hyatt was around, it was the best thing going on in wrestling. (laughs) I like I, the Goyles, I, Gavin. I like the Goyles. <laughs> I never could I never could buy into the Nasty Boys being competitive with the Steiners. It, sure. it, it didn't resonate with me. And so but and, a spiller for number four in the Royal Rumble? Sure, why not? Yep. Yeah. Uh so number five here is Haku, legit badass. And, one of the few one of the few men on earth where if it's like, you know, he's coming after me, I'm leaving. I'm done. And I didn't understand it at the time, but mm-hmm. looking back now, if they put the belt on Haku, okay. Yeah, Pat and I, Pat and I played around with the idea of like a Haku, like a legit long-term Haku Ultimate Warrior feud when he was the champion. Um, they, you, you frame Haku right uh, and give him some opportunities. He he would have been a hell of a, a hell of a talent. I think he would have been a hell of like a like a main main event heel. And I love how every time, because the thing the lines are blurred so mm-hmm. much now with tweeners faces heels. Kayfabe is dead. It's been dead for a decade or more. But again, the clearly defined heel and babyface roles in this match. The fact that Bobby Heenan was excited that Haku was coming to the ring because that's mm-hmm. how for Ric Flair. Right. Who wasn't going to try to win the match himself? 
It's just help for Rick. So if you're watching like the first couple of minutes of this event, you could be led to believe that the Bulldog is going to end up winning this thing. He is tearing through everybody. He just eliminated Haku. And in comes in a freshly healed Shawn Michaels who had tossed uh, his best friend and tag team partner, poor Marty Janetti, through the barbershop window. Uh, that is absolutely untrue, Martin. Marty dove through the window to get away from Shawn. Oh, I see. Thank you, Bobby. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so Shawn Michaels here, but beginning his long journey to the main event, uh, here in 1992. Now, in the, later in the summer of 92 is where they do SummerSlam in England, right? With uh, Brett and yes. the Bulldog, okay, yeah, no, big Wembley, yeah. That's the I love, I tell you what, that's one of the ones I have, I have a lot of fond memories of. That main event between Brett and Bulldog is something else, yeah. And and to hear Brett tell it, it was all because of him. Sure. Uh, because Davy Boy was stoned out of his gourd and didn't know where he was, so Brett just wrestled the whole match himself against himself and gave Davy Boy his shining moment. The thing about Brett is that he's humble. Right. And, yeah, he's very giving. And if you don't believe him, just ask. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that uh, I, I'm noticing as I watch this, you know, we... Oh, is again we have somebody like the british bulldog who they're clearly giving a big push to here and he has this great look and everything and he's going to get this huge push in the summer and then the steroid trial and he's gone yep <laughs> like you want to talk about a company who you know in an era of if there were nothing but bad you know if, if it wasn't for bad luck they'd have no luck at all yeah and honestly, it, it didn't end up being a terrible thing for his career because it's not long after this. I mean, you're looking at uh, a little under a year. Uh, no, it'd be a little over a year. It'd be 93 into 94. He's feuding with Big Van Vader in the main event for WCW. Yep. And he's uh, dealing with midgets on the beach. Yeah. Evil midgets. <laughs> Evil midgets. Uh, I wish someone had loved me as much as Brett loves Brett. No fooling. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. That's not possible. Nobody if loves you, anybody as if much. You as are, if you are, if you can find someone that you're attracted to who loves you as much as Brett loves Brett, don't lose that person. <laughs> Hold on to him forever. And that we see true. Tito Santana, old Chico, as Ventura used to call him, in his El Matador outfit. And there would have there would have been a time that Tito would have been believable as a contender for this, but that time had passed. Yeah. Um, but. You know, he still comes in with history and credibility for this audience because he's coming in as a, a former Intercontinental Champion, a former multiple-time World Tag Team Champion. He, he's on that list of, like, WrestleMania All-Stars. Like, yeah. he's on like, the first, like, five or six of them solid. Yeah. And he's in, like, halfway decent matches, too. Like, him and I joked with Pat, him and Greg Valentine are the hardest-working men in WrestleMania history. Absolutely. But, you know, Tito, in his day and in his era, was a great hand. He was a great number two babyface behind Hogan for several years. Um, and he even got that weird Survivor Series push where it was him and Hogan against, like, nine heels. And, of course, <laughs> they won. Uh, but, you know, El Matador, kind of a silly gimmick. Their attempt to give Tito a little personality and keep him hanging around. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he's one of the few that's not a threat to win this. And same for Shawn Michaels at this point. You can see the beginnings of what Shawn Michaels will be here. Uh, but he was nowhere near ready for the world championship yet. And here comes the barbarian. Big slab of beef. 
Now this this was when Barbarian was in his uh he looked like a He-Man villain face. <laughs> yeah. This was not imitation road warrior barbarian. This was animal pelts and antlers barbarian. <laughs> kind of miss those days. I mean, it's believable. Yeah. I could see barbarian stomping off into the woods. And, I want to. I want to amend that statement. I miss the days where a guy who looked that way would dress that way, not guys who look <laughs> like they're in Renaissance fair cosplay. Right. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> correct. And I think it's one of the things that's neat watching this. It's the first time I've watched this in a while, and I, I really considered watching this to brush up on it before we sat down to watch it. Oh, nah, it mm-hmm. okay. This is probably the 13th or 14th time I've watched this match, but. Um, seeing Joey Morella around ringside is cool. Um, I always liked him as a referee when I was a kid. I always thought that he was entertaining as a referee and uh, tragically lost his life in a car accident. But that was a Gorilla Monsoon's son. And I would imagine that he probably would have been a very long-term fixture for the WWF if not for the car accident. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I didn't say it when it was happening because we were still just kind of introing the whole thing that we're doing tonight. But so Jack Tunney gets in the ring to hold up the belt and say, This whole Survivor Series, uh, this whole Royal Rumble is for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I was thinking, like, I never knew at the time because I was a little kid and how would I know? But, you know, I, I Jack Tunney would occasionally show up. Like, he he dealt with the whole Hogan Andre thing when Andre uh, surrendered the title to Mr. DiBiase. Um, that whole bit. And I was like, do they just have this guy on payroll to occasionally come out and give monotone speeches? Yes. <laughs> and you then you know the history of that. And you're like, oh yeah. yeah, they keep him around because because they got they they took in his territory and he got a job for life. Yep. Yeah, the history of how these guys get their on camera roles is always mm-hmm. interesting to me. Right. Like Gorilla Monsoon, who I think had owned a piece of owned a piece of it when Vince's father owned the territory and he, you know, and when Vince took over, it was like, well, I'll take care of you forever. And he did. I mean, you know, I don't think Gorilla Monsoon ever had like a complaint about you know, I'm other than maybe some of this looked a little silly to his eyes. I mean, he had a cake job. And here we see another guy, another missed opportunity, another tragic story in the world of wrestling. The old Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. And this is where you start to see some of the fun stuff with Ric Flair playing into the match because there's a history mm-hmm. uh, between Flair and Kerry. They feuded when Kerry was in world class and Rick was NWA champion. Kerry got the, the NWA title win at the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. Uh, they had to take the belt off of him immediately because he was showing up in no condition to work. Imagine that. Um but there's history between Rick and Carrie. And so for people that have paid attention over the last 10 years, it's a neat thing to, to say, to see these guys that feuded almost 10 years ago, mm-hmm. starting to, to interact again. You know, it's, it's fun to play the what if game last night we were, or yesterday we were talking about what if Austin never came back after the neck injury that he got from Owen at SummerSlam, you know, and, Brett's going. Brett's going to go, and Sean's about to break his back. What do you do? And we were like, well, "What if? What if the Austin of that time ended up being Ken Shamrock?" There's so many what ifs here. What if? Yeah. Kerry, what if there were no drugs and Kerry Von Erich was like per, like sober the whole time? You know. What if? What if even if Kerry Von Erich was on drugs but didn't lose a foot? Right. Yeah. 
You know, there's so many guys in here, like we were talking about at the top of the show, that could have, you know, if, the, let's 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 stay with the warrior can't keep his crap together and he has to go. There's so many, like four or five, six guys deep you could have ran with. Yeah. Could you imagine Kerry Von Eric as the WWE champion in a world where he has two feet and a and a straight brain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, when you watch the original world class stuff from back in the yeah. early 80s. Kerry was definitely ahead of his time because he was one of the first true body guys. Right. Um, very limited move set, was never a great worker, but he had that presence. He had that look. He had something that the fans were drawn to. And yeah, mm -hmm. a, a healthy and sober Kerry could have gone down as one of the all time greats. So I have to be in 10th grade when this is happening. This is 90, this is January of 92, and I'm born 76. And I don't think I'm watching wrestling as much in high school, probably here and there. I, I don't I definitely didn't see this live. Um, but I remember I remember being very much 50-50 on the WWF at the time because it was like, yeah, there's guys like Kerry Von Erich and there's guys like Sid in there and the Bulldog and these, you know, people who look like wrestlers from when I first started watching wrestling. And then there's guys like the Repo Man. And I'm like, ugh, I can't even with with your stupid characters and your clowns and your nonsense. You'd have been like, it's so funny. Cause I say that like, you would think that um, I would have been a huge fan of like the NWA and WCW, but I grew up in New York. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And, and Barry Darso just had a, a string of terrible gimmicks. The guy had one good gimmick in his career. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was smash of demolition. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. I, can I tell you how much I love Demolition, Gavin? <laughs> they were the best thing ever. Like, I gotta go on and on and on about the Ultimate Warrior. Here he is, the true MVP of the WWF, the Hall of Famer, the Hammer, Greg the Hammer Valentine. <laughs> and Valentine and Flair had history, and I, and I would imagine that almost oh, yeah. nobody watching this match had any idea about it, um, because I certainly didn't when I was 12 years old. They did. Um, they they went around the horn in Mid Atlantic, didn't they? They did. They they had a feud over the United States Championship. They had been tag team partners. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of history there, and in many ways, Greg Valentine is like the Dollar General Ric Flair. They both used the figure four. They both threw the chops. They both wore the silly robes. They both had mm -hmm. the long hair. Um, Flair obviously a little more charismatic than Greg Valentine. Not uh, for nothing, but Greg Valentine could have passed as Ric Flair's body double in a movie. <laughs> his stunt double yes. um, I didn't say that I wasn't a fan of the Mr. Hole-in-One gimmick it's just acknowledging that it was stupid I'm okay with an angry golfer I, I'm just not going to pretend it was good well the battle royal here the Royal Rumble is filling up with guys we've got two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think in here right now Oh, and dude, Shawn Michaels loves the near near elimination spots that he likes to get, he gets to do in this. Yes, like he's such a smaller guy, especially in this era. Um, and so he gets he he does his job. He gets knocked around and throws himself hither and yon over the top rope, and then he gets to like you know show off how athletic he is and how much younger he is than a lot of these guys yeah. by like hanging on the ropes in awkward ways. He is kind of you know he, like. He, I'm gonna do this kind of in reverse, but follow me here. He's kind of like, like the Kofi Kingston of this era. Yeah. You know, he's the guy doing the crazy bumps in here because what else is he gonna do? 
Right. Oh, and here another Hall of Famer, Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, Nikolai, not somebody that was going to win this match. <laughs> um, hey, he contended for the WWF Heavyweight Championship on Saturday night's main event, I'll have you know. He did. He was an evil Russian and yep. former tag team champion with the Iron Sheik because, you know, it was the 80s and you had a Russian and an Iranian, so why wouldn't they be the evil heel champions? Sure. Um uh, Nikolai certainly had his value at different points in, in WWF history, but at this point, you know, his career is almost coming to an end. Um, so he gets one last moment in the spotlight. He's working as a baby face, which is not terribly natural for him. Um, and soon he would be working for the city of Baltimore and farting a lot. <laughs> um the thing I liked about, you know, like Nikolai Volkov is, and I, I talked to Pat about this on our Mania WrestleMania series. This is an era of guys who either really couldn't and didn't last long and really couldn't understand the way WWF was changing and doing things. And guys who got it instantly yep. and probably had like their careers were longer in the spotlight. And Nikolai Volkov was one of those guys like he got it. You yeah. know, like, like you look at him, like you don't think he looks like much, and you know, and it's not like he probably sold like tons of merch, or whatever. But like he understood, I'm a cartoon character now, yeah. and good on him for like figuring it out and like go leaning into it. And same for Tito. Tito probably adds three or four years to his career mm -hmm. just by being willing to wear ridiculous pants and pretending yeah. to be a bullfighter. Yeah, and go go shoot vignettes where he's like, I know I I have to work on my speed and I need to be a better wrestler, so I'm going to be a bullfighter. Yeah. Okay, Tino. Sure. And Barry Darso, who was willing to do anything for money. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here he comes, the true main eventer, Mister Money himself, the big boss man. Uh, so I don't know if you got a chance to hear me and my son do the um do the beach break. No, sorry. I, I told this story, but uh, this wasn't on air. We watched a little bit of some of the WrestleManias that we talked about, 14, 15, and 16. Mm -hmm. and, he, and I showed him the boss man being hung in, in the hell in the cell. And then I told him the story about uh, Pepper Steak. My son yeah. hates the big boss man now. I mean, he's dead. It doesn't really matter. But he's like, my, my son was like wanting to find uh, find the big boss man and beat the crap out of him for hurting a poor dog. If I'm not mistaken, it's this Royal Rumble where the boss man almost dies when he gets eliminated. Um, okay. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Okay, well, he just tossed out Barry Darso like a sack of crap. And good, man, I got to love Barry Darso. He gets thrown out and then still looks around like he's trying to repo something. Yeah, he's still sneaking around and seeing <laughs> the character. He never loses character. God bless him. See, guys like right now in the WWE could really learn from some of this. Oh, they absolutely could. And you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Shawn Michaels being a little younger than everybody in this match, and and sort of being the new kid on the block. Give you a little bit of perspective on age and and how that works. Um, I do believe that AJ Styles right now is either the same age or one year older than Ric Flair was in this Royal Rumble. <laughs> yes, J Rock. I did, uh, uh, J Royce. I did tell my son about Big Boss Man's uh, late 90s, early 2000s greatest hits, including stealing a dead body in a casket and having Big Joe jump on it, Benny Hill style. We went through and, all of it. <laughs> and I loved Boss Man. I loved him when he was Big Bubba. 
but mm. he he really found himself in this character. Yeah, and, I mean, Christ, him and Hogan, that's why I said Mr. Money, like him and Hogan made crap tons of money going yep. around the horn. And honestly, Boss Man is one of those guys who was better fat. Once he lost weight, he wasn't the same guy. And I don't know if it's because it was just less spectacular, but seeing him move the way that he moved when he was up around 330, 340, like he was mm-hmm. here, he did some incredibly impressive things in the in the wrestling. Dude, when he was with Akeem and they were the Twin Towers yep. and they would hit their like sidewalk slam and stuff, you could visibly see the ring move. Yeah. I mean, yeesh. Like Andre didn't move the ring like that. And Andre is a zillion pounds and 10 feet high. Um, well, okay. A lot of guys got cleared out because I blinked and I was yes. talking to you. And the, I know Flair dumped the bulldog. Uh, Tito must have been dumped. Sean must have been dumped because Carrie's gone. Because all we got in there now is Flair, Barbarian, um, and out goes the Barbarian. Uh, Flair, Barbarian, Boss Man, and whoever that was that just went out with the Boss Man. Give me a time code so I make sure I can stay close to her. I'm 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 starting and stopping on my agent laptop here. Uh yeah, we're at 156.04. Okay, I'm not far off. I'm only a couple of seconds behind. I honestly whoever had that, whoever had power on the back of his ass, I could not tell who that was. That was Hercules. Oh, that was that was Hercules? Power like, and glory. The Hercules? The like Hercules. Pat, like Pat's near father in law Hercules? Yes. Okay. He <laughs> I miss old Hercules then. Woo! Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, if that's what you're talking about, yeah, he he took that bad. Boss yeah, man, it didn't go well. <laughs> Bossman threw himself, like hung himself on the top rope. I guess this yep. would be a thing with Bossman hanging himself. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Oh. Anywho. <laughs> um and then like he flipped over the rope and he caught his neck on the way yeah. out like, yeah it wasn't it wasn't good it was uh, it was troubling as a 12 year old is he is he okay <laughs> <laughs> but before he got eliminated you got to see him do some of his cool mm-hmm. boss man stuff that big high kick followed by the sharp uppercut and you know the crowd believed in him the crowd was behind him and yeah. I, I think boss man as world champ might have been a stretch right here but the crowd was certainly buying into everything yep. that he did. And here we go. A main event anywhere in Portland. Roddy Roddy Piper versus Ric Flair. Well, and the history between these two is, is incredibly well established and would yeah. go on for years and years after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was this was Piper pulling double duty. He had won the Intercontinental title from the Mountie earlier in the show. Did you know the that first... the, did you know that the Mountie was brave and strong? He was the Mountie and he enforces the law. Uh, not only was he brave and strong, he was handsome. That's um, right. But that was the first and only title that Roddy held in the WWF until many years later um, when he and Rick would win the tag team titles briefly. Um, but it was it was a good spot. The ring had cleared out. Flair mm-hmm. had a chance for a, a just a short breather. And, and Bobby is telling you, rest, recover. Just just get yourself together, and then the absolute worst possible person comes through the curtain for Rick. <laughs> yeah, that's storytelling, baby. And Piper puts Ric Flair in the sleeper hold. It's a... <sighs> Look, there's a lot of modern wrestling that, you know, I can certainly appreciate. I mean, I'm kind of like you. I've, 
I, I, I what, even when my son and I watched Beach Break, I had to say on air, like, I haven't watched Dynamite in weeks. Um, but, and I never watch Raw anymore. Like, I tend to watch just the big events, and that's about right. it. But I'll tell you, looking back on this, I was like, gosh, they don't make them like this anymore. No, they really don't. And, you know, nostalgia is undefeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm sure with your area of expertise in your profession, you understand this and are aware of this. But at the time that we were watching this, the dopamine centers in our idiot little brains were just going crazy. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, these are the best memories and the strongest associations that our brains would form. And so it's always going to seem better to us than it actually was. At the same time, from a very objective place, they really don't do Royal Rumbles like this anymore. There's no multi-layered storytelling. There's no half dozen credible, believable winners. There's no air of suspense. It's just, oh, how are we going to get to the point where Batista wins? A few years from now, a fat Samoan and two midgets are going to dance in the ring and stop the Royal Rumble cold. (laughs) Yeah, it it changes over time. I get it. Anyway, Jake the Snake is centered. <laughs> Hi, I'm Snarky McSnarkiston. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jake the Snake has entered the ring, and now we've got Roddy Piper in there, Ric Flair, and Jake the Snake. Oof. That, that, that's a match in and of itself. It is. And, again, you know, it's the only televised shot that Jake ever got at the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And I'm sure that there were people out there that were pulling for Jake to win this and mm-hmm. nobody would have been upset if he did, because, you know, you play the what if game. I don't, I don't think there's anything that's very much more fascinating than the idea of a prime heel Jake, the snake Roberts as WWF world champion. Yeah. I'm bummed. We never got like a lengthy Jake ultimate warrior run. It's God, if I take a drink every time, you know, I bring up a missed opportunity because people were either crazy on drugs or quit the company or whatever. Right. Uh, here comes Hacksaw. Let me tell you, I never loved Hacksaw. I, I know he was like a crowd favorite or whatever. This was <laughs> this was kind of like the nasty boys where like I remember watching him as a kid and going, Who is this mong this? I gotta stop myself. Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> who is this dopey looking fella and i and like pat would hit me to the to the jazz years later you know we would start talking about mid-south um and like and what a killer he was there as was ted yeah. as was so many guys that came up in this era in the wwe but you know he's another one who he, like you said he was a killer in mid-south and then he comes here and he's a cartoon character and like i don't begrudge him his career he got a longer career than he might have ever had by doing that but again he, I'm, I was a little kid who, when I watched wrestling, I favored the big muscular bodies and, you know, the tan skin and, you know, these guys that look like gods. And, and here was a guy who looked like, you know, my neighbor with the dogs that bar- that, that barked. <laughs> That's right. I am. A... So what I'm hearing is Marcus was anti-American. That's right. I was a progressive liberal panty waist tree hugger and I love communism. Sure. <laughs> I, I think the appeal to Jake was he was so different in his delivery than everyone else. Jake or um, um or or uh what's his face there? Hacksaw. Uh, Hacksaw. No, I think Jake was was very different in his delivery, mm-hmm. and I think that's what set him apart, even playing the cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hacksaw, 
you know, he was a killer in mid South, but he had a baby face run in mid South as well. Mm-hmm. And at, at this point he's playing with house money. He he's been caught traveling with cocaine and breaking kayfabe. <laughs> and I mean, this was, this was a revival of sorts for him and he did it well. Hacksaw at this point had kind of moved into the Tito spot from a few mm-hmm. years earlier where, you know, he could be buddies with Hulk. Mm-hmm. He can take on the number two heel. He didn't have to win a title and the fans were going to get behind him and they're going to sell a whole lot of foam two by fours. To, to Jay Royce's point, it, you know, he carried a two by four and yelled, I love America. Yeah. He had fans. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's pretty easy. So I'm going to come, I'm going to be a complete hypocrite here and say, I used to love IRS. like if there was one guy who got to have a second job in the wwf at the time and be a silly gimmick it was it was good old uh gosh i can't remember his real name now mike rotunda mike rotunda as this ira he played it so well and he like watching him in his like his like varsity club gimmick and all of that like you think he's like such a stiff and lacking in personality but whatever reason whatever personality he does have works so well in that irs character well, and this is his second run in the WWF because mm-hmm. he and Barry Windham were world tag team champions as the U.S. Express. Um, so another guy with a lot of history and a lot of credibility, even though the gimmick that he's in right now is a little bit silly. Um, and, you know, roughly 30 years later, we're waiting to see where his son is going to pop up next. <laughs> yes, I wait with bated breath. <laughs> Honestly, it'll probably be a YouTube video or direct to Netflix movie. But um, eventually, <laughs> yeah. I think, Jim, I think Jim Cornette said, "Like, why didn't he just go? Like, him and Alexa Bliss just go to Hollywood already. That's clearly where you want to be." Yeah, uh, and you know, listening to one of the Conrad Thompson podcasts earlier today as I was driving to work, he made a good point about Brain not showing up in AEW yet. AEW just had a half dozen big time debuts. Yeah there's no reason to show up right now because you're just going to be lost in the crowd and forgotten. Yeah. So. Like who, who, who are you going to wrestle with? Daniel Bryan, who just got there. Adam Cole, who just got there. Half of the undisputed attitude who just got there. I was going to say Jay lethal who just got there and isn't being used. Like the writing's on the wall. They're a little full right now. And, and I think what you're going to see is they've already started to mention that there's a lot of contracts that are coming due in AEW mm-hmm. that are not going to be renewed. Right. Um, so that roster is going to start to thin out a little bit and give him some breathing room. I hope but, Joey Janela h- held on to his money. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Enjoy your two-day spring break at this year at WrestleMania. I'm just going to guess that he probably didn't. But um, <laughs> and, and look, we, we just went through all of this, and we're overlooking the biggest debut of them all in AEW. Love that Dan Housen. <laughs> Yes, as I said to my son, Danhausen! Danhausen! And my son went, Who the hell is Danhausen? Why are you screaming? I'm eight. <laughs> so anyway, uh Jimmy Snooker, who murdered a woman, is as into the ring. <laughs> and again, more history with Ric Flair. Um yeah. in mid-Atlantic days, feud for the United States title. Um but yeah, he did he did murder a woman. He and did. It, it did get covered up by the it's WWF. Nice. It's so. nice to have money and powerful friends. Hey, I wonder why Tamina has a job. 
So that was just just real quick because we really should focus on the match at hand and not Holy shit. various other wrestling news. But you know, did did anyone bat an eye when Nia Jax like you know was like I'm never going to wrestle again? And, and was the was the expectation to be like no, not Nia Jax in her hole? Come back, Nia. <laughs> Please injure more women. We need a few more people to have that attitude of I'm never going to wrestle again, but I digress. <laughs> Speaking of which, here comes the dead man, the Undertaker. Stu and I talked about how our favorite iteration of the Undertaker is Ministry of Darkness. Um, coolest music. He was a really fully formed character because one of the things we said, this is the era where the Undertaker is still an attraction. And he's an attraction for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, he's he's a zombie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is the reason that this match is taking place um, because mm-hmm. you've got the whole thing where Undertaker tombstoned Hulk Hogan on a chair at Tuesday in Texas that Ric Flair provided. And then Hulk gets the belt back through nefarious means or something. I don't know. Pat could tell you the details. I've forgotten a lot of the details around it. I just remember Undertaker won the belt, then he didn't have it, and then this happened. Yeah. So well, they were exp- we covered this on the Mania of WrestleMania, where uh, they were experimenting with Tuesday pay per views. It didn't go well. <laughs> um, also, my Rick, that has to be one of my favorite interference moments of all time is Ric Flair daintily sliding a chair in there. Yes, just, just very nonchalant, like. And, you know, <laughs> the, un- the Undertaker hits the uh, the tombstone on Hogan and then whoop, right back out again. Like he's a little magician. I will say hitting the tombstone might be a little generous. Um, <laughs> Hulk's head was about four feet off the ground. But what you, is- got, you got to take uh, care of the Hulk, sir. Yeah, you, you got to you gotta take care of the cash cow. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite moments of, of Undertaker in this rumble, we'll see it before too long here. Is this is this is in the era where he's not selling anything, right? You could you could light his arm on fire, and he's just going to stare ahead and keep plotting towards you like the the monster movie villain, right? Um, but there is a moment where Rick rears back and chops him, and you just get just the tiniest bit of a flinch from him, like Jesus, that hurt. And here comes Savage, who's going to. I thought he was about ready to murder Ric Flair. Have they done the bit yet? With um, with uh, Ric Flair saying that uh, Liz she was... was mine before she was yours. Yeah, no, that's coming up between Rumble and WrestleMania. Okay. That'll lead into WrestleMania Eight between that's those what two. I okay, yeah. No, here he's still de- dealing with Snake Roberts ruined my wedding. <laughs> the greatest wrestling wedding ever. Have a piece of cake. Ah, it's a snake. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that you're familiar with Black Machismo, but I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever heard that particular promo uh, where Jake, where Jay Lethal just blurts out, Snake Roberts ruined my wedding. One of the greatest <laughs> moments in TNA history. Um, I uh, I was very much in and out on TNA during the during the uh, Jay Lethal, Randy Savage times. Black I'll, uh, I'll see if I can track that promo down. Okay. And, and send it, because he made other weird references like, to George the Animal Steel and Tito Santana. But nice. when, but when he screamed, Snake Roberts ruined my wedding. Perfect. Well, uh, it looks like Savage and Jake are both out. Uh, the Undertaker is now beating on Savage on the outside. Yeah, the Jake and Undertaker pairing, I thought, was good for the Undertaker. It gave him mm-hmm. a little 
something other than Paul Bearer moaning wildly. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it gave him someone to help carry the load in tag team matches because Undertaker was not the guy that you wanted to, to work for 15 or 20 minutes at this point. No. It's debatable whether you wanted him to at any point, but especially here. Well, like I said, um, being being kind and fair to The Undertaker, we are in an era here where the less you saw him, the better. It worked better yes. for his character. Um, years later, when he's a you know when he's a biker and he's basically he's basically what you know the, what Austin would say about himself. This is just me turned up to eleven, and yeah. you know this is Mark Calloway turned up to eleven. Yeah, then it didn't matter if he came out every week and killed right. Jeff Hardy, killed him dead, and Maven. Yes, somebody mentioned uh, a Royal Rumble spot where someone just gets obliterated, and I was thinking to myself, like, no, the one I remember is Maven going into the going into the popcorn machine. Yes, <laughs> and then Undertaker eating popcorn that may or may not have had blood on it. <laughs> well, you know, blood makes it taste better. Anyway, <laughs> that face on the Undertaker, oh, like he's surprised he's doing it. What he's doing. <laughs> He knows he doesn't belong here. <laughs> he has got to be thinking to himself. He was like, I can't believe five minutes ago I was on WCW TV. <laughs> and then Suburban was... Commando with a squeaky voice. Yes. So a uh, friend here on Twitch says, fun fact, the last guy Paul Bearer managed before his passing is LA Knight. Interesting. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, so... Was that as Paul Bearer, or was that as Percival Pringle the Third, or just William Moody? Or hang on, I got to tell you a real quick personal thing. So we 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 all know if you've listened to any of my podcast, I used to work for Rob Black's XPW. I worked, um, I worked in marketing for his porn company, and then I trained to be a wrestler, and I was on the shows, et cetera, et cetera. I was a character on I was a character on the XPW television, and uh, I knew Chris Cross personally, Chris Cross, who was the ring announcer. Who they were basically trying to make like low rent Jerry, Joey Styles. He used to do the best Berserker impressions. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know he would what break it up about him. <laughs> he would break it up mid conversation, man. <laughs> he would be like, be like, so Chris, man, after we're done breaking down this ring, we're gonna go get Denny's, and he would go, I'm like, oh Jesus. <laughs> so if you want to see someone that's that's carrying on the proud tradition of the husk, mm. uh exclamations uh beast man in mlw he's a recent signee to mlw mark i think you'd be right up his, he'd be right up your alley okay um, he's a guy that i've known from uh, the west virginia independent scene for several years great guy so happy that he's getting a break um but he recently upgraded his gear for mlw and it looks fantastic i'll send you some pictures the guy that's the current champion over at MLW, um, I can't remember his name. Hammerstone. Uh, Hammerstone, yeah. I wanted to say Hardcastle. I'm like, no, that's not, I know that's not right. Yeah, Hammerstone. Oof, somebody wake up and sign him. He is money. He has got the uh, man. WWE turned him down multiple times. Really? And, okay, Percy Pringle, man, and Sean Ricker, the now LA Knight. Very cool. Um Paul Bearer actually managed one of my good friends, Chance Prophet, on the uh, independent scene a few times as well. I remember you uh, talking about Chance Prophet back in our casual hero days. Yep. Um, he's still doing his thing, man. He's still out there making towns on the weekends and 
training guys to be wrestlers. Here um, comes Mr. Meat Sauce. <laughs> Good old Virgil. Uh, but Hammerstone, he he got turned down a couple times, and he actually just re-upped with MLW for like a multi-year deal. Okay. Um, and on his Twitter, he talks about how steroids are good for you. So that's right. probably going to keep him away from WWE for the foreseeable future. But man, he's got the look. You got he that does. right. So I don't know if you know this or not, but Virgil was actually the one that came up with the Montreal screw job. <laughs> I believe it. Sure. Yeah. Just Virgil's, ask Virgil if you don't believe him. Virgil's like the watcher of the WWE. He <laughs> is he has been everywhere and a part of every story. So do you follow Virgil on Twitter at all? I used to. I don't know if I do anymore. I know that like when when he was part of like the cultural zeitgeist there with you know with the Olive Garden remarks and everything, the breadsticks and the meat sauce and all and the and the F money and all that. Um, I, I kind of followed him because I thought he was hilarious for five minutes, and then I don't think I followed him anymore. I have often found myself wondering as I read the the tweets from Virgil, are these really from Virgil? Because <laughs> Virgil just doesn't strike me as a guy that's quick enough to give us that type of satire. Well, he isn't right now. Uh, Piper just kicked him so hard in the face. <laughs> He's not tweeting anything. He may be seeing he may be seeing little birdies flying around his head, but uh, he doesn't tweet nothing. And maybe I'm selling Mike Jones short, <laughs> but that that type of capacity for satire just doesn't seem like something that would come from him. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because when you have nothing to do but sit around all day and think about crap, you, you you can probably come up with a half a dozen fairly funny tweets. Speaking of a guy who I do follow on Twitter, here comes the Sheik baby. Sheiky baby. Uh, doing the bushwhacker walk for some reason. <laughs> um, my favorite Iron Sheik moment is the gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania 17. And, and I yes. think it was Bobby Heenan who said it was like, by the time this is over, we'll be at WrestleMania 18. Or by the time he gets to the <laughs> ring, rather. <laughs> So I remember good. I remember recognizing instantly that Sheik was going to win that because he couldn't take the bump. Yeah. My I think my favorite Iron Sheik interview or favorite Iron Sheik moment is from a shoot interview where as soon as the camera pans in, mm -hmm. he's sitting on a couch wearing a very ill-fitting Minnesota Vikings toboggan <laughs> with the with with the big gold World Heavyweight Championship that he never held on his lap, just staring mm -hmm. at the camera awkwardly. Is there any reason why they didn't run a little bit longer with uh, around the horn with uh, Sheik and Hogan? Why it was just the one MSG match, and then 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 he was off to the races? Um, I think Sheik did what they needed him to do. Um, Backlund wasn't crazy about Hogan, um, mm -hmm. and he was he was willing to do business with the Sheik because Sheik had a legitimate background. Um, mm. and Sheik was willing to do the favors for Hogan, um, just because Sheik was being a professional. And sure. if you look at the history of WWF or WWWF up to that point, that was kind of the norm for them. Um, you know, Buddy Rogers held the title a few weeks and then Bruno San Martino held it for nine years. Right. Um, and then Ivan Koloff held it for just a few weeks and then Pedro Morales held it for a few years. And then Stan Stasiak held it for nine days, and then Bruno San Martino held it for another few years. Mm -hmm. So the history and the the pattern for WWF was 
you know, Babyface has an incredibly long run. We mm. break it up with a very short heel run, and then we're back to the Babyface. Um, and, and that was what they did. You know, Backlund had a five, five and a half year run. She got a month with it, and then it was Hulk Hogan's time. So, and they and moved that, him onto the money just, feud. With, they moved him onto the money feud with Piper. Yep, with Piper, and then the Heenan family, and and they started to feed him giants with Stud mm. and Bundy and the giant. Yep. Somewhere in there is Orndorff. Orndorff, who, Orndorff, who it was, he is probably the very definition of like the wrestler who you're so pretty. Please don't talk. Like, boy, yep. if, if anyone who had who had the perfect body and desperately needed a manager, it was Paul Orndorff. Yeah. Please. And and other than Andre, he was the guy that did the best business with Hogan. He did better business with Hogan than Piper did. Mm-hmm. Um, Piper had the WrestleMania match with him. But Orndorff had the match with Hogan, you know, in Toronto that had almost 70,000 in the stands. And and he also had the Saturday night's main event cage match with the disputed finish where they dropped at the same time. Christ Uh, almighty, is there a guy in in that era of the WWF, like that 85, 84, 85, that has a better body than Paul Orndorff? No. No. I mean, Jesus. I I can't see that. Absolutely looked like he was just cut out of stone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so speaking of which, Rick Martel, the model Rick Martel, arrogance, has entered the Royal Rumble. I wish he'd come out with a spray bottle, though, and just started nailing guys in the eye with it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and guys are just bumping out of the ring. Ah, my eyes! <laughs> uh, Would have been fantastic. Yes. But Rick Martel, former AWA World Champion, former multiple-time tag team champion in the WWF, including with... El Matador, not long before this, before he turned heel. Um, but again, on the downside of his career, and he's a guy that really doesn't have anything to do with the business now. Well, J- Gavin, business, as they say, is about to pick up. Yes, it is. Here comes a real American, the Hulkster. And this was, this was where, like you said, things start to get serious because... You know, he's got a lot of history with a lot of the guys that are in the mm-hmm. ring right now. And Undertaker, Savage, Piper, Flair. Uh, this is this is an opportunity for Hulk to come in, clean house, whittle mm-hmm. away some of the, the extraneous stuff like the Berserker and Virgil and, you know, guys that aren't going to win. And mm-hmm. this is where we start heading towards an actual conclusion. Uh friend here says uh, Sean and Martel have one of my favorite matches at SummerSlam this year. Yeah, man, like you have a deep roster here of a lot of guys that can put on great matches and sell tickets and it's all the bottom's about to fall out. That's the other thing. Like going through the Mania of WrestleMania, that is one thing that Pat and I realize is just like we are so close to the precipice of the entire entire bottom of the business falling out. Yeah. You know, yeah, you like, get the steroid trial, and then mm-hmm. it's but. yeah, ninety three, ninety four. This whole thing, this whole operation goes to plaid. And but then the Sean and Martel match, it, it was fantastic. They were feuding mm-hmm. over Sherry, basically, and who was right. prettier. And they had the whole mm-hmm. "we're not going to hit each other in the face" thing, and it was fun. So hacksaw and um, and uh, meat sauce just went over the top rope. <laughs> hacksaw and meat sauce. That's right. And and we have Flair and Hogan, another lost opportunity. I I will still say there should have been some courage and some sober minds that got Hogan and Flair to WrestleMania eight, but so it was it was not to be. 
I can understand both sides of the argument on that. Mm-hmm. From a, from just a fan standpoint, it makes so much sense. Sure. But it really did go so poorly when they tried it at house shows. Um, well, the, the argument fans, that I, when this came up with Bailey and Pat, you know, Bailey was an ardent defender of they should have done it. And he brought out some facts and figures for the, for the house that they did. But if you're talking about just the match quality, how do you not have Pat Patterson sit these two mopes down and be like, look, stupids, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to do. Well, and I don't, I don't think it was even a question of match quality. Mm-hmm. It was just, I think it was the audience. I, mm-hmm. I think that they had been conditioned that guys that looked like Ric Flair weren't world champions. They had had mm-hmm. Hogan forever. And if it wasn't Hogan, it was warrior or savage. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I think that it just it didn't work for them because it's a few years later that WCW runs with with Flair and Hogan and does gangbusters business. You're talking about two different audiences, then, is the issue. Exactly. It's a very different audience in terms of both geography mm-hmm. and in terms of just what they're willing to accept historically. I think they probably saw Ric Flair as a much bigger deal in WCW mm-hmm. than the WWF audience did. Sure. Um, because as I much as... I know as I did. As, as much as I felt like Ric Flair was a huge deal going to the WWF, I lived in an area where we consistently got both NWA right. and WWF programming. And as I've talked about a million times, I grew up in New York where this blonde looking doughy guy walks in and he's got this ridiculous looking belt. And I'm like, who <laughs> the real champions Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. Who the hell is this guy? What, what is this stupid gimmick that he's the real champion? Like, I didn't get it. You know, I mean, all these low, these many years later, sure. But, um, you know, to your point, when I'm, however old I am, when this is all going on, I guess I was either like late junior high, early high school. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get Ric Flair. I probably would have been those people that was like, this is dumb. Like the, yeah. looking back on it, I'm like, in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, money. And then by the way, can you imagine being one of the people working in the office the day after Bash at the Beach and you have to go tell Vince what happened? <laughs> <laughs> hey. I'm sure he, I'm sure whether he would admit it or not, he was watching and was aware of it. Mm. <laughs> How much did they do? What? <laughs> We we had an opportunity for this. <laughs> Going back to the point about it, it's good to be well connected mm-hmm. as opposed to actually good at your job. Steve Kern was way past his usefulness at this point, but because he's, he's, he's still here, buddies he's, with, he's Skinner, yeah, right? That, okay, and, and he's buddies with Hulk from Florida, from from oh, Hulk's okay. days in Florida. And so you actually see Hulk selling for Skinner in the Royal Rumble, which is the most absurd thing ever, but they're buddies. Sure. And who cares? It's the Royal Rumble. You know, unless unless the whole thing is you have to look like an absolute killer through this thing. You take a couple of punches for Skinner. I don't even notice this unless you're really looking. Um, So Sergeant Slaughter's in the ring now. You Again, another guy who just is on that Vince McMahon retirement plan where he had a job long past you know, even with the G.I. Yep. Joe money and stuff, he had a career long past, you know, his sell-by date. And, and you know, he he did a good job in his backstage role for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. But he and Vince had had their issues in the past. And, and Slaughter is a good example of Vince is willing to bring anybody back if he thinks he can make money with them. Sure. Um, I think Slaughter's thing with uh, with Vince was the same thing as um, well, Hogan's thing with Vince Sr., which is they, they were, you know, the, the issues of them getting Hollywood gigs and whether or not the WWE had any right to that money. And here yeah. comes Sid. <laughs> here he comes. Now, we <laughs> talked about Boss Man almost dying. Uh, Sarge's elimination here is equally scary in a different way. Okay. So keep an eye out for that. And, and, you know, it, I didn't realize it at the time because I hadn't seen a lot of Sarge's older stuff when he was feuding with Pat Patterson and things like that in the early eighties. Um, but this was, this was a pretty (laughs) typical bump for Sarge, but for a 12 year old, it was terrifying and I'm still not entirely (laughs) sure how he pulls it off, but you know, whatever. Maybe he doesn't pull it off. Maybe he just hurts himself, and it's one of the things he's willing to do. But yeah. <clears throat> Ric Flair working on Hulk Hogan in the corner. And the the Rumble was always a good way for them to test things out and, mm-hmm. and see if certain guys had chemistry together. But man, Sid just looks. So, any insight as to why Sid couldn't like fully commit to wrestling, or what his issues were? What, you know, it, the joke is always, "Oh, it's softball season," but there's a mentality that has to go along with that, to where you know, here's all this money and opportunity and fame and fortune, and you're like, "Nah," like, the, the, like wh- why? <laughs> What's going Sid, on? Sid, he didn't love the business, yeah, um, and I think it really just comes down to that because there's. There's a tale that seems too stupid to be true. But then when you look at all of the evidence from Sid's career, apparently after WrestleMania 8 and the match with Hogan and everything that went on there, Mm. apparently Sid didn't even realize that was WrestleMania. To him, it was just another show, and he got a paycheck for it. And that's Sid. That, That was all he cared about was the paycheck. And he has said as much in shoot interviews. WrestleMania didn't mean anything to him. I'm okay, I'm okay with that, but you should at least know what's going on on the day you're working. Like if you're go- like like Goldberg didn't love the business either. I don't care what he says. Right. Um, the, the Warrior didn't love the business. I don't care what he says. But they at least knew this is a big event. This is a garage. <laughs> you know that we're wrestling. But, then, but, it, but again, you go back to Sid. Hey, can we start that over? No, we're live, pal. Like. He didn't even know he was on live television. Yeah, he, so, he didn't seem the most with it guy. Yeah, and so for him, it was just, it was a way to make money, and that was that. All right, fair enough. And here is the warlord. Speaking of guys that just look like the Greek gods. Oy. He looked like his skin was ready to split open at any moment here. This yeah. was the most bloated that he ever got. Yeah, he, I mean, he looks incredible, but he is not going to last long with this company, given what's going to happen in the next year or so. And, and I think he ended up having some legal trouble after this, too, not mm-hmm. long after this. Um, but he's one of my favorite, like, random one-off indie appearances. Okay. Uh, he and Barbarian and Haku showed up as a trio for the Chikara King of Trios tournament one mm-hmm. year. Yes, Warlord looked like a cartoon character. And I loved it. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It was a great look. Well, look, look, when your cartoon character is He-Man, I loved it. <laughs> when your cartoon character is Heathcliff the Cat, 
not so much. <laughs> um, Warlord from this era also had one of the absolute coolest Hasbro action figures. Yeah. Because the, the, the figure came with like the chest plate and the half mm -hmm. mask molded on. And, okay. and his his action feature was like the big press slam. Uh, it was just, it was one of the cooler Hasbro fi figures that they made. I know you had those LGN rubber dolls that had yes. no, yeah, those things were weapons, man. You ever hit somebody in the head with one? Uh, Knocking cold. Bunny, yeah, that's a concussion. Yeah, <laughs> sure is, pal. Yep, that is a brick. <laughs> um, I got a box of those for Christmas one year. It was the best Christmas ever as a child. Oh, they were fantastic. They were great mm -hmm. toys. Yep. Oh, and there goes Martell and Piper, eliminated by Sid. Sid's just wrecking house here. Yeah, he, he shot Slaughter out of a cannon and then <laughs> starts tending to the jobbers. <laughs> We're down to four. We're down to Sid, Savage, Hogan, and Flair. And again, we've talked about this a few times. Of those four, anybody can win, and it's believable. Right. Well, Flair just came with a running knee across Sid's back, and Sid dropped Savage outside the ring. So now we're down to Hogan, Flair, and Sid. Hogan, <laughs> Rick Flair goes to chop Hogan. Hogan's having none of it. He's like, "Don't touch me!" And boom, into the tree of woe goes Rick Flair. <laughs> and Hulk was coming off of, I believe, back-to-back -back Rumble wins in this in this match. He had won in ninety and ninety-one, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> there it is. Hogan's buddy Sid just dumped him out of the ring like oh so much trash and this was the first sign that the shine was coming off of Hogan even with WWF audiences mm -hmm. uh, because they would doctor the audio for replays when it went out to syndication on Wrestling Challenge and Superstars um, but in the moment and watching this live when Sid dumped Hulk over the top that place erupted sure well so Pat and I talked about this, how, yes, Hogan is this golden child and he's this iconic hero, but Hogan's character also did, you know, we joked about him being the lusterer and all of that with Liz. Mm -hmm. Here you have another like, like heelish moment from Hogan where, you know, here he is supposed to be this clear uh, baby face, this big hero, and he's eliminated and he won't follow the rules. He won't leave. And he's starting to pull Sid over the top rope. And yeah. that gives Flair the opportunity to dump him out. Which is, I think, brilliant storytelling because after mm -hmm. an hour in the ring, if it comes down to Sid versus Flair, and especially a relatively fresh Sid versus Flair, you know, finding a way for Flair to get Sid out mm -hmm. is going to be a, a stretch of the imagination, to say the mm -hmm. very least. Um, just, you know, Bobby Heenan would say it, and Pat and I even agreed with it, because as much as, like, Bobby is, like, supposed to be the silly heel, he makes a great point. How does half of what Hogan does make him look good? Like, yeah. how is he being a hero when it's, like you know, he's, like, whacking guys with chairs and crap? It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. You're supposed to be you're supposed to be the honorable one. It would be like, you know, <laughs> Luke Skywalker... Uh, you know, he's fighting Darth Vader and he's trying to be you know, an honorable hero and Darth Vader gets distracted and he's like, eh, shoves him down the stairs. Like, wait, yes. wait, wait, what are we doing here? You're the hero. You're not supposed to cheat. Unless you're Eddie Guerrero. And, and, and it's one, Hulk was one of the guys that reinforced something to me that 
I came to understand about the wrestling business and, and the mm -hmm. delineation between faces and heels. It's not what you do. It's who you do it to. Sure. Everyone will accept Hogan's crappy behavior if he does it to the bad guy. Yeah, if it's the evil Russian or yes. the evil Japanese guy or the evil Iranian or the evil French-Canadian Dino Bravo, um, <laughs> then it's all okay. But <laughs> Those damn French-Canadians. <laughs> but, you know, you get to WCW, you turn around. Hogan did not wrestle terribly differently as Hollywood Hogan. Uh, yes. There were still the back rakes. There, there were mm -hmm. still... Uh, the punches and the choking people with the shirts that he did in this match uh, as a huge baby face. It's just that now, instead of doing it to evil Russians and French Canadians and other ver other various foreigners, uh, he's doing it to Sting. So, That's right. He's doing it to Lex Luger on a weekly basis. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're still that <laughs> Ric Flair has won the Royal Rumble, but he's powdered out, and you know, and the whole focus as it is during this era is on Hogan. Yep. You know, not, never mind the guy that won the damn thing. Let's focus on the angle we're going to tell here going into WrestleMania between, uh, you know, Slappy Sid and <laughs> and good old Hulk Hogan. Uh, I'm going to let um, we're in a commercial now because this is on Peacock, but I do want to let it play just so we can see the the backstage celebration with Flair and oh, all night. But that was fun. You know, everything you said about this was true, Gavin. This there was a lot of storytelling there, that, like marry a guy in there with somebody I didn't necessarily care about with the possible exception of the repo man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we are. There's Jack Tunney from Toronto. I'm just picturing he's backstage with Vince and he's like, okay, you're going to talk about how much you like winning the title. He's like, can I say fuck you, WCW? <laughs> no, Rick. Uh, Not directly. <laughs> was, was this, um, I forget, was this around the Bill Hurd era? Uh, Jim Hurd, yeah. Jim Hurd, sorry, yeah, Jim Hurd. This Hurd's. is when he yeah. wanted him to cut his hair, wear earrings yeah. in both ears right. and be Spartacus like, Rick Flair. What if I just say fuck you, Jim Hurd? And Vince is like, no. One of the other things that stands out to me about this rumble, mm. and, and this certainly isn't the only rumble that this is true of, mm -hmm. but there have been Royal Rumbles that it's been kind of a chore to get through. Yeah. Um, the year that Alberto Del Rio won was awful for a number of reasons, <laughs> first and foremost being Alberto Del Rio, but... Mm -hmm. Um, to me, this match doesn't feel like it's an hour long. No, it, no. It I mean, granted, quick. we were talking that whole time, but like that, that didn't feel long at all. Yeah, it, it moves along at a great pace. And I really feel like you can point to this as being the best moment for so many things for mm -hmm. Flair, for Gorilla and Bobby, um, for Pat Patterson in terms of laying out a match and, and constructing 
the match that he invented. This is a Pat Patterson creation, and I think the 92 Rumble is the pinnacle of it. I don't think it ever got better than this. And I think you see the genius of Pat Patterson and his innovation shining in this match because it's executed flawlessly. I'm wondering if in many ways one might be able to say that this is sort of the last great chapter in the 80s boom wrestling. Like, this is it. Because after this, everything kind of goes downhill. I mean, granted, you have like the 92 SummerSlam, but the 92 SummerSlam sort of ushers in the new generation. You know, between 92 and 93, I think everyone's gone (laughs) <laughs> you know, Rick, yep. Rick Flair is going to drop the title between now and, the, you know, between WrestleMania 8 and um, and WrestleMania 9. By WrestleMania 9, the company looks so different, and it's, yeah. it's such transition. Like, in nothing else that happens in this year, that's why I'm saying, like, this might be it. Like, if you needed to find a bookend, say, when did the 80s boom end? Like, what was, you know, the high note that it ends on? It's It's the 92 Rumble. Because it's well, sure shit ain't WrestleMania eight, <laughs> you know, and Re- and SummerSlam is again it's the Bret Hart show, and then yeah. the Survivor Series is so forgettable it should be studied. So yeah, this is a monumental event and, in retrospect. And even even in WCW, you know, mm-hmm. Flair's gone. They're they're still doing stuff with Sting and Luger and some holdovers from the eighties. But you're also starting to see guys like Brian Pillman and Jushin Thunder Liger come along. Mm-hmm. You know, the Steiners are starting to assert themselves, which look very different than any team of the 80s. Um, so even in WCW, things are starting to change and look very differently. And, and I think you're right, because here we had, you know, how many of, of the standouts and the main eventers and the superstars that created wrestling's boom in the 80s. You had Hogan, you had Flair, you had Piper, Savage, Jake. Kerry Von Eric, you had Ted DiBiase, mm-hmm. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You had all of these guys that even now, 30 years after the 1992 Royal Rumble, even talking to casual wrestling fans that are over the age of 25, they recognize those names and who those people are. Yeah, um, There are very few people in the, in the industry today that have the name recognition of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right. And, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a career mid-carder for all practical purposes can you name without saying um without saying steve austin can you name like five people in the 97 rumble 97 rumble (laughs) yeah that's the one in san antonio um right yeah it's it's midgets and luchadors (laughs) i say my hesitation in thinking this is my brain works the opposite of pat's Mm -hmm. i i have i'm terrible with like frame of reference on time Mm -hmm. and things like that um i would guess sean no because sean's in the main event with said okay um scotty too hottie (laughs) (laughs) a little later on (laughs) You know, let's go the other way. Who's in, you know, name five guys in the Rumble the year John Studd won? Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Don Morocco, okay. One Man Gang. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I, I, but to your point, it's yeah. the point that I'm trying desperately to yeah. illustrate here is when you think about the 1992 Rumble, it's an all star cast. Yeah. And when you think about a lot of Royal Rumbles before and after, it's a lot of, like you said, it's a lot of filler. It's a lot of mid cards, a lot of low card. It's a lot of, you know, like there are fun appearances. Like I can't remember what year this was, but I remember there was the year that like Kurt Angle was in it. Uh, not Kurt Angle. Um, Mr. Kurt Hennig. 
Yeah. yeah. And like, it was fun he to see it him to back. Final Four and people right. were going crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, there was a year that Kevin Nash came back and was in it. And like, these are all fun and fun moments. And, you know, we, we hang on to them because they, they're meaningful to us. But I, I can't tell you of a, there are two memorable moments that I can think of in the last maybe 20 years of Royal Rumbles. And one of them is the one where everyone thought, everyone thought Daniel Bryan was going to be the number 30 Royal Rumble entrant. And poor Rey Mysterio never got booed so hard in his life. It's the only time Rey Mysterio <laughs> Jr. has ever been booed. And the only <laughs> thing that he did was not be Daniel Bryan. I, I You ever see a man's heart break on television? <laughs> Other than Ralph Wiggum, no. <laughs> yeah, it was that kind of moment. And then maybe like Kofi Kingston doing the bit with the chair, yeah. where, you know, his acrobatics with the chair to keep himself from being eliminated, stuff like that. But, you know, I they all... So this will be the final thing I say about this. You know, when, Re when Pat and I conceived of the Mania of WrestleMania podcast, we were stopping at 20 because after that, everything's just like a goddamn blur. You know, I can, I can pick out a match here or a match there, and I kind of yeah. know what order the John Cena years go in, but eh, it, it, you know, from 20 on, it's just another, you know, it's another show, another year, you know, with, with, with the same guys on the roster, changing very little from one year to the next yeah um the story is from one to 20 and then after that it's like okay it's just a thing now and yeah, i think stevie richards wins the world title in a triple threat match and yep <laughs> sure um and, and the two guys who were supposed to be your main eventers fuck off and leave the company um yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, this was great, Gavin. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did this. And this is all in celebration of the Royal Rumble 2022. And your main events for the Royal Rumble will be Brock Lesnar versus uh, Black Lesnar. I can't wait. You know, honestly, I'm a, I'm a little excited to see that match. I have no idea what the story is. I have right. no idea what the angle is. Other <laughs> The than story is it's Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. That's all the story you need. And, and you know what? That's fine. I can live mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Because it's a match that everybody has been waiting on for 20 years. Right. And it sort of felt hopeless, like we just weren't going to get it. And I think now's the perfect time to get it because based off of what he did in Impact Wrestling mm -hmm. and then his comeback and pairing him with MVP, Bobby Lashley is as good or better now than he's ever been in his career. Yeah, this and, is, I was going to say, this is the Flair Hogan of its time. Yeah, and, and Brock for... You know all the criticism that he gets of being a part timer mm. and, and being an attraction, and he doesn't, he shouldn't have the title because of that. I think Brock's as good as he's ever been because I think Brock understands who Brock is now. Yeah, um, we don't we don't need thirty minute contests of endurance with Brock Lesnar struggling mightily uh, against you know Jeff Hardy or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, the Goldberg Brock Lesnar matches are perfect. They're yep. two minute spam finishers. And everybody goes home happy. Can I tell um, you how much I wanted to leave Orlando after their match? Like, that was the year it was Roman Reigns and The Undertaker. And I'm like, I don't care. I've seen the main event now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all and right. So, so I'm excited to see that. Mm -hmm. And I have managed to avoid any and all spoilers for the Royal yeah. Rumble. I know there's a lot of stuff out there about people potentially showing up and the forbidden door and all of that. So I'll watch the Rumble and I, I'll actually be surprised this year. So speaking of which, um, I when I will be I will be doing my seventh day in a row of podcasting because myself and the podsman, uh, I do have a job, people. Um, I, I promise. I have other things, but yeah, my the podsman and I will be doing a live 
watch along uh, alternative commentary for the entire four hour Royal Rumble event. So, hey, I'll be with friends. We'll have fun. It'll be fine. But we will cover everything from 8 o'clock on until this this thing ends. So I hope you'll join us again here on Twitch and Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Wherever you found the live stream tonight, we'll be back there again tomorrow at 8 o'clock. When they go live on the main card, so do we. Um, besides that, just a quick couple of plugs here. Jesse and Alexis's trivia for uh, video games just went live. So you can check that out on the feed or on the W2M um, network page or on YouTube. Uh, this past week, just kind of rip through these. We did a uh, Ronnie Adams and I reviewed the power of the dog French dispatch and cop shop. Uh, Robert Winfrey and I reviewed Munich, the edge of war uh saturday my son and i did an alternative commentary for beach break and then uh, i put him to bed and then i got to hang out with my friends uh jesse and cooper and we did the night flight orchestra aromantic uh part two um we did the main Stu pat and bailey were both busy and they could not make the show yesterday but i did have Stuart lango 401mania.com and we talked the attitude years the austin era uh 14 15 and 16 WrestleMania 2000, and then Ronnie Adams and I muddled through the Wheel of Time, which was fun. Uh, so that's that. Next week we've got uh, my son and I doing a Jackass alternative commentary, which will be fun and exciting. Um, my the the other indie cider and I, Harry uh, Broadhurst, will be reviewing the World on GCW and No Holds Barred 21. And then finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, uh, myself, Evan Bevins, and Andrew Graham will be looking at Kevin Smith's much maligned Masters of the Universe cartoon. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Gavin, I'm going to tease you a little bit. You ready? When's Casual Heroes coming back? Probably never. All righty. <laughs> you know, one, one day when I don't work two hours away from home, Sure. And my two-year-old is a little more independent. We've bounced some ideas around on what a possible revival and some concepts might look like. Mm -hmm. So never say never, um, mm -hmm. but it's a long way in the future, to say the very least. And what about, what was the other one that you used to do? You know, uh, what is it? Lex Luger ain't no cowboy? Uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, you know, if, if we could pin down something for me and Pat to record on a regular basis... That one stands a much better chance of coming back. Well, I want to let you know, Gavin, that if you ever, ever record with Pat and bring back the Bunkhouse Stampede, I will happily, happily put it on the Rattled and Broadcasting Network. All right. Um, and if you ever want to, if you, you and me and Jonas and Vincent ever want to go see a jackass movie together, I'm all for that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, can, I can watch the jackass, guys. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Mm -hmm. Um, is 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 Party Boy still hanging out with him? He might be. Half of those people I didn't even recognize, but it is like a twenty-year-old thing. So I mean, Chris Pontius was always my favorite. So my my son and I are very much looking forward to Jackass Forever. Um, yeah, so I'll have to I'll have to report about how awful how awful this this was for him and how we shouldn't have brought him in the first place. I'll have a full report when it's over. All right, that's it. That's our Royal uh, Royal Rumble 1992 alternative commentary. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We really appreciate it. For Gavin Napier, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. Mm -hmm.